This episode is brought to you by Catalyst. Catalyst combines beautiful design with modern technology to provide the most powerful customer success platform, helping companies reduce churn and improve customer experience at scale. They also create and post relevant and hilarious startup memes every day. So check them out on LinkedIn or at catalyst.io. Hello, everyone. Welcome to season two of Unapologetic, a podcast dedicated to giving women of color a voice and an opportunity to share their journey with the world. My name is Kalina Bryant, and I'm the founder of Unapologetic, and I'll be your host today. This season, we're all about awareness to empowerment, and I'm so excited to introduce to you our next guest speaker, Minda Hart, the founder of The Memo, a career development company for women of color. She also hosts a weekly podcast called Secure the Seat, a career podcast for women of color, and Minda has been featured on speaking engagements at American Express, Nike, Levi, Twitch, Amazon, you name it. I'm so excited to have her here today. She is definitely a trailblazer and she's going to talk to us about how her journey started and how she got to being a CEO, an author, and just a phenomenal woman for us all to see. Without further ado, welcome, Minda. Thank you, Kalina, for having me. Uh, Love what you're doing. So thanks for inviting me on. Great. Well, let's kick things off. So to be an African-American female CEO and a best-selling author making really phenomenal moves, how did the path start for you? Yeah, that's a great question. It's it's something that I think about like every day because uh, it wasn't too long ago where I was, you know, uh, not loving the career I was in. (laughs) So (laughs) having... um, kind of found found my way definitely feels good but what I will say is I I spent um my former life for 15 years in corporate and nonprofit roles and I was a fundraising consultant for different universities and colleges and I was always the only one the only black woman the only woman of color and sometimes the only woman as many of us are sometimes in these spaces and I started to settle into the microaggressions I started to settle into the bias and I just started to tell myself that this is just the way it's going to be for a black woman in the workplace and and then after a while I realized wait a second if others are experiencing respect, dignity, and equity why shouldn't we be able to experience that as well and it really led me to start to interrogate and investigate that two things can be true at the same time. We might all work at the same place, but experience that workplace differently. And it really led me on this journey to start to talk about what it, if what it's like for not just women, but black and brown women in the workplace and how we experience it and, and highlighting some of those challenges, but also holding companies accountable for our advancement in, in the workplace. Wow. You just touched on so many different things. And I want to just take a step back. You said something really important saying you were going to get comfortable with it just how it is um, and just accept those microaggressions and the the bias in the industry. Um, Talk to us a little bit about how like what 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 happened where you woke up and said this is actually not okay because I think that a lot of us are experiencing that right now and you didn't give up and you didn't just accept being treated any any type of way. Talk to us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, it's a journey, right? <laughs> it's a journey because uh, when you're in it, again, you get so used to it. So, and if you've never been in a good working environment, then you don't even know what good looks like, right? You're just like, oh, this just must be how everybody experiences it. And I realized that that 
inequality that I was experiencing, that racism, micro macroaggressions, it was starting to affect my mental health. It was starting to affect how I saw myself, my confidence, my self-esteem, uh, those sorts of things. And uh, it manifested itself in panic attacks and a lot of anxiety. And I realized that this isn't good for me, right? But I still have to continue to work. I can't just quit my job, <laughs> right? And I don't want others to inherit the same type of experiences that I'm in, that I have right now. And so it was really a painful moment in my career where I was in a toxic workplace. I went to the powers that be to have the conversation. Uh, people were dismissing my, my feelings, telling me to just suck it up. Right. Uh, and those sorts of things. And, and then I realized, wait a second, they're telling me to dismiss this, but they don't even have to experience this. Right. And, that, and, and once I realized that um, there's a quote that I have everywhere in, in my home, it's by Audre Lorde, beware of feeling you're not good enough to deserve it. Black women, women of color, we deserve dignity, equity and respect. And if we're not getting that in these spaces, then um, what would it look like to a have a conversation about it? But two, maybe even leave if we need to. Right. Or find new tables to build or tables to sit at. And I was having a really painful situation after that conversation with that executive. And I was in my car crying. I'll never forget the day. Um, it was in 2014 and my lashes were on my car floor. You know, everything was just like out of control. And, and I said, I don't know what it's going to look like, um, but I'm going to commit to using my voice from this day forward to make sure that the workplace is better than I found it for women that look like me. And I didn't know what that looked like in 2014, but I was committed to figuring out how to use my voice so that somebody could be a beneficiary of my courage. And I started to talk about those things. I started a blog first. A lot of people may not know that. And then a book and then books and then podcasts. And I really just wanted to make the workplace better for black and brown women to say, no, this let's not normalize this behavior. Let's not normalize being treated poorly, not being advanced not being paid equitably. We need to hold these spaces accountable. We need to find spaces where we can be celebrated and not tolerated. And I wanted to use my voice in that way. And um, it was scary. Sometimes it still is, but I realized again, we've worked too hard to have our dreams deferred. Wow, I that is phenomenal. And I just commend you for having the courage. You know, like that's the first step is just believing in yourself. So your journey is amazing and the things that you're doing, and we'll get into the books that you've been writing. Um, you're not only helping you and building a better life for yourself, but you have individuals like me. I found um, your, your book at Barnes and Nobles, and then I saw you on LinkedIn. And then I was like, wow, this woman is speaking to me. Um, so I just commend you for having the courage to number one, speak and vocalize your opinions and your thoughts. Um, and just Validate that it's okay that you experience and experience these things. It's all about what you do next. Um, so just thank you for that, Minda. And on that part, I definitely want to get into your first book, uh, The Memo. Um, you talked about first starting the blog and then you, is it, um, did you create The Memo first or The Memo LLC first? Which one came first? I created The Memo LLC first. I was still actually working in my uh, day job when I created that and it just started with a a blog. So the memo LLC was a weekly memo about some of the things that I would later write about in the book, the memo. But when I started that, 
Kalina wasn't because I ever thought I'd be an author. I just wanted a space where black and brown women could feel seen, that we would feel like we're not making these things up, that we were affirmed. And eventually I realized, wow, I'm not the only one experiencing this. Others, unfortunately, are experiencing this as well. But we don't have to sit in that trauma. Our story can be rewritten. Mm-hmm. Well, our, our stories are similar. I started a podcast <laughs> and it really, I was just lonely, honestly, about the things that were going on in my work experiences and, you know, the environment. Um, and to be honest with you, I didn't think I could speak to anyone about it because I was already starting to get boxed into being the crazy one or being the over emotional one because I was showcasing the isms that weren't just. Um, so it's amazing where things could be created out of uncertainty. Um, so getting into that, the memo. Um, beautiful book. Uh, it's something that actually uh, we're starting a book club at my current company, and that's the book that we're choosing to kick off with. Um, and the reason why we're doing that is because it is very hard to uh, identify what you're going through um, and to actually highlight that there is a problem. You can feel it. Um, I talked to a lot of individuals about this when coaching. It's really hard to call an issue um, if you don't know how to actually define it. And we're hoping that by reading the memo, we can actually have the confidence to know that something is wrong and we have the confidence to then speak up. Um, so I want to talk to you a little bit about your thought process in creating the memo and the impact that has made not just on you, but the rest of the world. Yeah, well, I, I'm really humbled that uh, your company is reading the book and um and I, I can't wait to hear how, how those conversations go. But, you know, the memo was really birthed out of a pain point, right? Just like, you know, your podcast, uh, you're experiencing something. You don't know what to do with that energy. You don't need know what to do with the feelings, what you're experiencing. People are telling you it's not that, who don't look like you, right? Trying to tell you how to feel, what to think about yourself. And I just wanted to let, I really wanted to write a love letter to women of color to say, I see you. These things are real. You're not crazy, right? No matter what they say, you know, you, de you deserve <laughs> all, the, all the good things. Um, and let's talk about them because for so long, we haven't even been able to acknowledge them. So mm -hmm. really the memo was for me to affirm us to say, listen, I was in the same seat as you not too long ago. And this is, this is not okay, right? And also mm -hmm. I wrote it uh, to managers and so-called allies and aspiring allies to say, listen, we can't do, we can't fix these workplaces by ourselves. You need to understand this is our, many of our lived experiences and you are part of the problem. So in order for us to have equitable workspaces, we have to first be willing to acknowledge that harm is being caused. And I didn't realize, I'll be honest with you, I did not know the impact of writing a book like that, how much it would, A, change my life, but change so many black and brown women's life as they've read it. I, I get countless messages from women every day saying uh, the memo saved my life in a way. And I never thought that it would have that type of effect because you don't realize how much affirming we need when you're so used to not having it. You know, mm -hmm. that is, that's actually spot on. Um, I, I think that based on even my experiences and talking to some friends of mine, we were just really beat up. You know, I think about uh, the struggles with ageism. Um, I think about the struggles with, you, you can't hide the color of your skin when you go to the workplace. It's just, 
it just, you can't do it. Um, and sometimes it's really hard to acknowledge that you might be treated differently. You really hope that you're not being treated differently. So you look at other ways to think, oh, maybe this isn't right. Or maybe I'm just thinking too much into something. But before you know it, that's messing with you psychologically. Um, and so you just never know. Like That's a very um, slippery slope, I realized. And it seems as though your book allows you to to kind of like stop and not go down that slippery slope um, and actually take a step back and figure out how to make this a win for you. Um, that's one thing that I commend you on. You have turned all of your trials and tribulations within the corporate world into a win. Um, and also I've uh, also noticed that you were also ranked in LinkedIn as one of the uh, number one uh, brand strategists. And I guess on this end, it says number one top voice on LinkedIn for equity in the workplace in 2020. Did you ever imagine in 2014, you know, <laughs> crying your eyes out in the car, realizing what is going on that Fast forward, you would be number one on one of the biggest platforms in the world. No, I had no clue. I had no clue. If somebody would have told me in that car that day that you would go on to write a best-selling book, that you'd be named this or you'd be on TV, I would have said, what, Minda, are you talking about? Because it's not possible. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know who that person is because, to your point, I felt so defeated. I felt so beat up in a sense, uh, just that, and I felt like my dreams were deferred. Like I had to, mm -hmm. I ended up having to leave my dream job that I thought was a dream job. But what I realized was our stories don't have to end in trauma, right? We get to redefine it. And sometimes we just need to show others that it's possible. And that's really what the memo also is reminding us of that, Yes, we have experienced these things, but that's not where our story ends if we don't want it to, right? That we get to take control and redefine what success really means for us. And I think Black women in particular, we deserve that. We deserve to be able to make decisions that center us, not everybody else. That is empowering all by itself. And just being able to vocalize it, then you believe it. And then next thing you know, you're executing it. Um, that is spot on. And so within that as we're thinking about your empowerment stage and writing the memo, and also you have a podcast, um, how did the memo turn into the podcast? And talk, talk to us a little bit about that podcast and the inspiration that it gives to particularly women of color, particularly black and brown. Yeah, thank you for asking. So the company came first with the blog, and then we started doing career um, workshops around different topics that and subjects that I felt black women don't or brown women don't get a chance to talk about out loud that intersectional piece. And then from there, I realized I, we should, I should start a podcast, secure the seat where I talk about some of these things and also highlight other black and brown women, women of color that have experienced similar things so that we just have more resources. Because what I found is at that particular time, when I started the podcast in 2018, that a lot of the content was for women but they weren't talking about the issues that women like us face, right? Mm -hmm. They're being very sugarcoating about, and it's unique um, obstacles and challenges that are, are sometimes in our experience. Not all women experience the same inequalities in the workplace. Uh, and so I wanted to drill down into that. And so the podcast secure the seat um, came and then uh, I started doing a live version of the podcast on LinkedIn when the pandemic hit um, and it's just been a sense of community back to, you know, what you said, we, we create these things because we want people to feel like they have somewhere to go. Cause sometimes you don't have the ERG group 
at work. Sometimes you don't have the manager that's invested in your success. But <laughs> if you know that there's other people who are rooting for you, cheering for you, then it makes it a little more bearable. Okay. I like that. And so you have written the book, two books, and we'll talk about Right Within um, in a little bit. But just to summarize everything, you have started the LLC, you have written the book and also created the podcast and the workshops, et cetera. And this is all like you starting this actually while you're in your, your corporate job still. Um, I want this podcast to also be inspirational, but really a teaching mechanism. So if for people that are going through exactly what you went through in 2014, what would be your um, bullet points of the playbook as to here is how I did it um, and step by step, because this could be overwhelming, right? Trying to be an author, trying to be a CEO overnight. You're like, well, where do I start? Uh, yes. What would you say the starting point is just to calm the nerves for the for others that aspire to be similar to you? Yeah, that's a great question. So what I will say is I didn't know all of those things would come. I really just started the LLC, the blog, if you will, the newsletter based off of just a place to kind of be therapeutic, right? To talk about those things. I thought that maybe my mom and a few of my friends would be the only people that probably read it, right? You know, so it's more so just <laughs> to start doing that. And I launched that in 20, before I formed the LLC that I started writing my first blog or newsletter in 2015, July of 2015. And then from there, I just started iterating and building more, um, I guess, products, if you will, but I still had my day job, but I just said, what could I do while I'm still here? Um, the process, sometimes we feel like we have to leave a certain place in order to uh, build on our dreams. And I realized that I wasn't in a position to just leave my job at that point in time, even though I was experiencing, um, you know, bias and racism, but what can I do to redistribute that energy? And that's when I started the newsletter. And then from there I said, okay, well, I'm, it's a small company. I still have my day job. I'll start doing once a month, a workshop. I was living in New York city at the time. I'll do one workshop a month, right. Around salary negotiation, because women of color are affected by the wage gap. Let's get some tools. And then I just started building. I think sometimes people might think that these things are overnight successes. And it started in 2015. My book did not come out until 2019, which is still a short amount of time, I guess. But I realized that there was just a need for this type of content. And I thought that I might not be able to do any of these things because I wasn't famous. You know, I didn't have a lot of resources, but all you need is you. All you have to do is start, right? If you build it, they will come. There's always somebody who's looking for what you have to offer. And, um, and, and I just grew it slow and steady and I'm still building that. But I'm the one thing that I would tell your audience is what the key to success, obviously God, uh, first and foremost, but number two is being consistent, right? I didn't look at what other people were doing or not doing. I stayed true to my mission. My mission was to and still is to catalyze equity for black and brown women. So that was my focus. And so I think we all just have to get true to what it is we want to do and what impact we want to make and do the things and build the things that align with that. And I've been consistent with that, with my books, with my products, with my podcast. And, and that was is really the secret to su success is the consistency and the accessibility to the information. Mm, that I like that. So consistency and accessibility to information that is that is so basic right but it's, yeah. it's just like the <laughs> it's hard right to be consistent especially when you're going through so many different things a question that I have for you too is even so I commend you on being able to 
put your head down and still do your day job, even when it was rough, but also continue um, to build your empire is, is what I see. Um, when you have those moments of wanting to give up, what did you do? You know, I guess basically to have those two moments where you say you have to be consistent and you have to share the information. How did you um, continue to basically take your own advice, even when there were rough times? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of rough times. <laughs> you know, I would say just believing you you said it earlier is believing in yourself, right? I wasn't necessarily solving for just for me, but I was solving for the next generation. So I thought about the younger version of myself that comes to the workplace 20 years from now, right? 30 years from now, what I'm doing today will hopefully make it better for her. And so when I think about on those days where I get down or I'm struggling or I'm not sure somebody says no to something that I really want to do, I think about the women, the black women that came before me, the the Rosa Parks, the Coretta Scott Kings, the Harriet Tubmans, the Shirley Chisholms, all those people that we know their names and don't know their names. The one thing that they leverage is their courage. And we are direct beneficiaries of them leaning into their courage. So I often think, who's going to be a beneficiary of my courage, right? What am I mm -hmm. leaving behind that somebody will be able to say, wow, I'm glad that Minda put that work out because I am a benefit beneficiary of that. And so I hope that you will think about, you know, the, the community will think about who am I being courageous for? Because somebody's going to come behind me and I'm solving so that they don't have to experience the same things I'm experiencing. And that's what keeps me going each and every day. Even when I hit roadblocks, I'm thinking, this isn't for me. This is for the next generation. And so it's really important that that I keep pushing forward, right? Even if you mm -hmm. help five people, that's five more people than we would have helped had we done nothing, right? So if we're all doing something like your podcast, think about you're saving one career at a time, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> to keep going. And if we're all doing that, then we're just creating better spaces um, and chipping away at all that generational trauma that many of us have experienced. Yes. Uh, I'm just going to snap my fingers <laughs> to all of that. I, I love all of that, Minda. Okay. So with that, let's talk about the next book, Right Within. How did that derive? Um, already successful, best-selling author in New York for the memo, but now you're on to the second, bigger and better things. How did that book come about? Yeah, I, I actually didn't think I would write any more books after the memo, to be honest with you. But then I realized <laughs> that there was a, a theme that I was constantly kind of experiencing when when people email me or you know send me a message on social media. They'll say, wow, I didn't realize how I was experiencing the workplace and thank you for mm -hmm. this. And I, what I, what I realized from that and in my own life was all of the residue from all those experiences, right? All the trauma that we have held on to from all the racism or sexism mm -hmm. or whatever you might be experiencing, ageism, all of that we are, has sat in our bones, has sat in our minds. And some of us have even we're having health issues because of all that stress and anxiety that we've experienced in the workplace. And so for me, this was a part two to the memo, like a big sister to say, okay, now that we know these things have happened to us, what are we going to do about it? Right? How are we going to heal? Like Lauren Hill said, how are you going to win if you ain't right within? Now it's time for us. The healing is for us, right? We can't solve what Tom and Brenda do, but we can solve for how we live our best lives. And so I wanted us to acknowledge the trauma that we have experienced. And we typically don't call it that because we haven't 
had the language to say that the experiences we've had is racialized trauma and how it shows up in our bodies. And so I wanted to talk about healing being a tool for us to be able to be our most authentic selves. That is, thanks for just being so brutally honest. And thank you for <laughs> using, you use specific word, words, right? Like healing. We d- we don't use that word. If you, mm-hmm. if you think about it, those are very vulnerable words, because if you say you have to heal, then that means you're admitting to some type of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as speaking as a black woman myself, I am not very good at admitting where, when I need help, number one, and when I feel I'm, I'm being attacked, I try to just figure it out all by myself. And I realize that that's a lot of pressure that we put on ourselves. So how dare we even admit that we're under this pressure to the, to get to a point where he said, I need to heal. You know, like I had a friend tell me, you need to take some time off. And I was like, I can't do that. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> when you hear those things, it look, it's, it's a sign. Like we look at that as weakness and we mm-hmm. need to reach, we need to change our thought process. And I think that your book right within is allowing us to, number one, be vulnerable and be honest with ourselves and also change our thought process on how we take in pain and how we heal and go forward with our lives. Yeah. You, you hit that. it on the, on the mark. <laughs> I, I need to take that sound by everywhere, but it's the vulnerability for me. Black women, a lot of, I'll say white women are encouraged to be vulnerable, right? They're, they're encouraged. They get to be vulnerable. They get to cry. All is good. But black women, we, we don't get to show up as human, right? We have to be these super powerful women that you never see us sweat, but we hurt too. We cry too. Right. And I wanted us to say, we don't have to be this strong, you know, in the, in the dedication of right within, I put to all the women, all the black women who were told they had to be strong for someone else other than themselves. Mm -hmm. We, we can be strong for ourselves, right. But we're always being strong for somebody else. And so time for us to shed that so that we can work on our, do our inner work. That is, and it's true, right? Because it's almost like the airplane thought process, right? They always say, make sure you put your air mask on first before you put someone else's mask on. And you always think, wow, that's so selfish. Like if I have a child next to me, I should put theirs. But if you, if you don't have air, how do you be the best you can be for the person next to you? Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing for your methodology right now. If you cannot heal, if you're, if you are broken, how are you going to give your best self to the next person or the next generation? Um, So your book is something that is needed. Uh, it's it's like our healing Bible. You know, if you really think about it, um, you need a place to be vulnerable and you are providing that with your words. And I commend you on that. Thank you. Before we close out, Minda, I want to ask you there. I'm trying to create this black manual for us all, um, for all of the things that is just not taught. And you have to unfortunately experience it uh, in real life. Uh, so the tips, you know, some people have shared tips on negotiation. Some people have t- shared tips on how to get into certain manager roles or, or walk away from corporate America and become your own boss. What is something you want to leave for the manual for individuals that are looking to persevere, whether it's in the technology industry, the business industry, or in their own personal life? What, what is some advice that you would like to share? Yeah, I, I think the one thing that I would share is, you know, oftentimes we talk about success, right? Uh, but success is not a solo sport. At realizing that if you want to go far, you can't go alone. You need people with you. I know sometimes we like to feel like we can do it all ourselves and build, but you really do need people who are speaking your names in the rooms that you're not in. So don't discount 
networking, putting yourself out there because, um, yeah, we can get far, but it'll be, it'll take us a lot longer if we're trying to do it by ourselves. And then this whole idea of, you know, scarcity as black and brown people, there can be multiple, uh, of us, a multitude of us at the table. It doesn't have to be one. So we don't have to be a gatekeeper. Let us change and create new rules and realize that success, our success, our healing is not a solo sport. And so, you know, make sure that you're being an ally for somebody else too. Okay. I like that. All right. Before we close out, Miss Minda, how can people find you? How can they order your book? How can they sign up for one of your workshops? How do they know you? Yes. Well, definitely grab the books wherever books are sold. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the, the main thing is go to my website, mindahearts.com. And I have all my social media there. So wherever your your social media drug of choice, find me on that. And I uh, look forward to hearing from you. All right. And within that, thank you so much, Minda. And for all of our listeners out there, there is enough space for us all. And if you just need some courage, be sure to follow unapologetic.com. And with that, thank you, Minda. Thank you so much. Thank you.